All right, welcome to episode 55 of Seize the Moment podcast. And today we have a very special guest. We have Liz Dorval, and she's a product researcher at a toy company. Welcome, Liz. Hi, thank, uh, thank you for having me back. Thank you so much for coming on. And so obviously today, guys, we're going to talk to you about what it's going to be like going back to the workforce, or at least going back to the workforce externally after the pandemic subsides. Yeah, because right now it's a pretty serious situation, right? There's like 40 million people out of work. Not exactly 40 million. I believe it's um, closer to 38 million. Um, and yes, uh, we went from 14% unemployment to 13 something percent. Sorry for not having the exact figures. Uh, so that's good so far. But uh, we're still we're still in trouble as far as that goes. Because even, even with the PPP loans, um, even though uh, most companies are now uh, able to pay all their workers, all their employees, uh, what happens a year from now when these uh, PPP loans are done and all these people, um, well, because there's going to be a less of a demand in certain industries. For example, let's say um, movie theaters, right? Well, if, for example, depending on how we relax our uh, regulations on uh, uh, the amount of people that are allowed to be in certain areas, like movie theaters or theaters in general or uh, comedy shows, just to name a few, mm -hmm. uh, those, those places are going to have less of a demand for employees because they're not going to be able to service as many people. Mm -hmm. It'd be hard to pay all those people. Mm -hmm. And so um, I heard recently uh, Anthony... Um, pardon, Andrew Yang and Anthony Scaramucci. Mm -hmm. um, they had a podcast talking about um, 40 Wait, work week. Wow, they, had, they did a show together? They did a show together. <laughs> Interesting, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. and How was so, Scaramucci? I'm curious. He was cool. I mean, he talked about his 11-day uh, experience in the White House before Trump uh -huh. uh, told him he could go. All right. Uh, <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, I love that. Yeah, I, I believe that during uh, when this uh, first stimulus was happening, he actually wanted to give three thousand dollars to every adult. Ah, uh, that's what he opposed, says. Uh, I mean, that's what he says. Yeah, I'll, t I'll just take his word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. okay. But anyway, <laughs> what you want to call it? Um, so that's what he says, right? And so uh, they didn't they didn't like his ideas. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> he was our savior. <laughs> I suppose, yeah. And uh, I mean, I'm sure there are other reasons, other nuanced reasons why they wanted him out. But yeah, yeah he, he talked about that experience. Talked about um, uh, how, uh, and him and Andrew Yang both together actually discussed how uh, they believe that uh, 40 to 42 percent of people who lost their jobs uh, are not going to be getting their jobs back anytime soon. Um, yeah. With yeah, and that's pretty serious because if you have around uh, close to forty million people, so again, I don't have the exact figure, uh, but I believe they said fifteen plus million jobs. Like that's how many people will be out of work, and what are we supposed to do for those people? And that sounds like it's going to be a serious issue to contend with. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, I, I was thinking what you guys think about that. Like, uh, what are what are some what, what could, what's something we could do about that? Mm -hmm. Or, or at least what's your guys' opinion on that? Because uh, obviously it's something that needs addressing. Yeah. Well, Liz, what do you think? Well, the vast majority of these people are retail workers and retail has been on a decline for some time. This just happened to accelerate it. Unfortunately, this was going to happen eventually. 
Um, the fact of the matter is the work, the workforce is going to be irreparably shaped after this, what to do with these people. Mm. I can't say, I mean, I've been thinking about it myself, especially considering, uh, like Amazon has picked up so much. Um, you know, it's all of these, I, I'm walking around my neighborhood. I'm looking at all these retail places that I, I'm pretty sure will never reopen again. Um, wow. It's, you know, it's like, what, what are these people? Are they just going to like work in Amazon warehouses? I, I don't know. Like maybe this is a good opportunity for them to go back to school and kind of join like, you know, since we've, we've now we're kind of shifting from a service-based economy to, you know, something that's more, that's more tech. I, it's really tough. And this is, this is why universal basic income is a great idea, but yeah. yeah. Uh, Andrew Yang was actually talking about that, on the yeah. show. but also just to tag what you were saying about retail workers. So Macy's uh, furloughed about 120,000 employees mm -hmm. and they closed a whole bunch of stores um, in the U S JC Penney too. There yeah, Neiman Marcus went out of business. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it's it's hard to say what are, you know what's going to happen to all these people, right? And um, what what may need to happen is maybe there needs to be some sort of um, so I don't I don't know for a fact. I really hope you guys have more of a um, take on this. But uh, I was wondering how, for example, a four day work work week could uh, play into this. Mm -hmm. Um, is it, is it that when people return to the workforce, maybe we restructure, you know, shifts in a way where people, uh, to keep all these people working, you know, everyone works four day shifts, mm -hmm. but do they make less money? Right. I mean, it sounds like that would be the case, right. but I don't know. Is that, is, is that the way to salvage this? Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends in terms of like how much money or how much profits the companies can make long term. Um, so look, I mean, I'm going to probably give what's, I would guess for the most part, an unpopular answer. I mean, I would say there has to be more stimulus. Mm -hmm. So obviously depending on like how long this is going to last, like in terms of, um, well, I mean, I know they're going to be kind of reopening sometime soon. Obviously a lot of states have already reopened, but the idea is like, nobody really knows the kind of effect on the economy that, you know, obviously the recent closures are going to have. So, I mean, my thinking was in terms of what Liz was saying with people going back to school. I think part of the stimulus package. Um, so in terms just to answer your question in terms of the work week, I honestly don't know. I, I don't know like what that would look like, but in, but in ter outside of obviously kind of stimulus and then, you know, perhaps like maybe even um, funding these different corporations and helping kind of support them in that way. But then on top of that, I think if people are going to go back to school with what money, right? Mm -hmm. So if we're going to sort of have people go back to school, which is obviously a great idea, and it's something that usually happens during downturns, we're going to have to okay. start funding them in some way. So if, you know, whether, whether that means like free public universities, um, whether that means sort of stipends across the board for people who are even in private universities, I don't know. But the idea is if we're sort of putting people back in school, obviously, which I agree with, we're going to have to find a way to fund them because there's no way that they're going to be able to afford to do it on their own. Yeah, but uh, even if they go back to school, I mean, um, they still have to work and make money. Right. I mean, unless you're saying that's that's a short, well, not short term, but a midterm sort of uh, investment in their own future. Yeah. Oh, I, so I don't know, like how much you guys know about like the Pell Grants. Um, so like there's Pell and there's TAP. Mm -hmm. So Liz, have you ever have you ever like been acquainted with them in any way? Yeah, I had TAP. 
Oh, okay, cool. Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, so tap is kind of like the lesser one, I, from what I remember. Um, so, like, if you have both of them, what they used to do is, like, if, let's say, you were super poor, like I was, they would pretty much, they would not only give you money for school, they actually also give you money, like, to live off of. Mm -hmm. So um, what you would get is that you would get like a surplus check. So let's say for like a semester, they covered your classes, right? Um, and then you would actually get a surplus check of actually a couple of thousand dollars like to live off of. Yeah, wow. it was really cool. So like okay. if let's say you're poor and you need money for rent or you need to contribute to bills or whatever, a lot of times you would take that money and contribute to your finances. So, mm -hmm. but they only used to do that for like a certain, like, um, I don't remember what the threshold was, but it was something like if your parents make like below 30,000 or like below 35, maybe thousand. So I don't, I don't want to give you guys numbers because i don't remember exactly but some threshold if you make below it they would pretty much give you like the surplus so the cap i think was five thousand per semester so why obviously that was really cool is if you go to cuny it sucks if you didn't obviously because for a private university you're actually not going to be fully covered but if you go to a cuny or like a suny and let's say your semester is hypothetically anywhere from 28 to $3,000, then you're pretty much getting an extra two grand on top of that. So what that's such a good idea is if we're talking about people being unemployed, then you could pretty much hopefully be able to start doing that. Okay. So the, my only, uh, well, I don't have an issue with this, but I just kind of see a hole there, which is like, uh, if we're talking about CUNYs and SUNYs, this, we're just talking New York, right? right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, every state has a public university system though. Yeah, I suppose I just don't know enough about it to see like, uh, how, you know, how they do their uh, grants there, for example, like the Pell Grant. Right. But yeah. Well, so and for, for first time students, this is also, it could be a good opportunity because if you've never been to college before, you can get the Excelsior Scholarship. Oh, yeah, right. I forgot about Let's that. Let's go. Mm -hmm. Let's go ahead. Oh, you basically, yes, for a first time college student and you, it's, CUNY is paid for completely right oh are you talking about the uh that for where if you agree to stay in new york um yes. you get uh tuition free yep that's right how long how long do you have to stay in new york for i think it's <laughs> i feel so bad we're on a podcast we got you know we should be giving accurate information <laughs> no but i joke uh just I, shout I, a I, number out so i believe number. it's you, you have to stay uh four years okay. uh in new york mm -hmm. afterwards but um i obviously recommend to look up the excelsior you know on google yeah, yeah you have to you have to stay in new york and you have to graduate on time oh okay so it means within the four-year period right <laughs> yeah yeah wait what happens if you don't though I guess you have to pay all that back. I'm not sure. This came after my time when I yeah. had to sell out. <laughs> it's so interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess maybe they could do some, okay, whatever. It's not the worst thing in the world. So maybe they could do that for all public universities, but I mean, obviously then the struggle is going to probably be with overcrowding and how do they kind of make it work? So they're going to have to probably pack in a bunch of people into lecture halls, but whatever. I mean, that's, that's not going to be a problem because after, this pandemic kind of ceases, you know, now you, you have, we have all these companies that are saying, you know, you're going to stay at home. Um, classes for CUNY are still going to be uh, online in the fall. Uh, this is going to be a new way of life and it's going to, you know, it's, it's going to open up this opportunity for a lot more people to work and go to school without overcrowding. Yeah. We're going to be home. That's going to be interesting, though, because I wonder what's going to happen to tuition then, because I can't imagine it can stay the same if people are obviously being in class from home. Well, sure. I mean, any, uh, obviously, you wouldn't be paying room and board then, right, if you're, if you're you know, uh, getting your education from home. Right. I like that, though, because then you don't have to worry about space, mm -hmm. right? 
Um, so that works, yeah. right? Especially given the current pandemic, we don't know when, right? I mean, I, I know that uh, New York has already gone into phase one of reopening. I know some, uh, I know Texas is already up to phase three, for example. So yeah, I mean, we might see some progress uh, throughout the year. We might not, right? Because there's the whole second wave thing. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. And Leanne, you, you mentioned the concern about rehiring all these people and what the profit margin is going to be for these companies, mm -hmm. but that wouldn't be less of a problem if everyone works from home and they don't have to pay to keep their lights on. That's true. Yeah. So. That works, yeah. Uh, but then there's another industry that gets affected, which is, um, for example, whoever's renting out those office spaces, I mean, they're, they're going to be losing out on money. Yeah. Uh, but I do agree with you as far as cost effectiveness, yeah. I mean, yeah, if you don't have to pay for office space, you don't have to pay for lights, you don't have to pay for maintenance, you don't have to pay this much a month uh, or a year um, to have people in the office because now you've seen maybe uh, either the same levels of productivity from working at home or maybe in some cases higher levels of productivity, mm -hmm. um, then yeah, that might be more of an incentive to go away from uh, offices to working from home. Which, I mean, in my personal experience, so I have been working from home. I got to say, um, I, I personally, I love it uh, in terms of, so living in New York, right? I mean, we all uh, commute some way to work, to and from work. Uh, I would take the train and that's like 120 something dollars uh, a month uh, for an unlimited MetroCard, let's say. Um, not having to go uh, on a train to go to work, for example, has already saved me over the past three months, over $300, mm -hmm. right? Uh, yeah, okay, so anyway, why did I, cause I was like, did we have an extra month in there? But uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> time is escaping me. But yeah, so <laughs> whatchamacallit. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I saved uh, money there, I saved time too, right? Because uh, for me, my commute is about an hour and a half to get to work and then an hour and a half back home. So it's three hours a day, right? Mm -hmm. And then uh, getting up early enough to get ready and then go out. So that's about, I have to get up an hour earlier before I have to leave and then uh, make sure to go to sleep normally, like at a normal time to get up early, like at six or so maybe go to sleep at 11, mm -hmm. ideally. Mm -hmm. doesn't work out like that a lot, but yeah. And so with all of this, I've gotten extra sleep. I've saved a whole bunch of money. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been able to, also since I'm at home, there, there are certain advantages, like for example, okay, so I am monitored and I monitor myself, but it's, so here's the thing. Here's, Who's here's, monitoring you? Well, the, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I am monitoring. Where I work, I'm sure they're, they're watching what you do yeah. and they look at your productivity and all of that. Mm -hmm. But one thing that's great is the opportunity to work at home has actually, in my own mind, uh, created this kind of self-monitoring system mm -hmm. where actually I want to do even better because I know that they know I'm at home. So there's something, some kind of dynamic going on that makes me want to perform better personally when I'm at home. I, I don't want to generalize that to every single person working from home. I don't think that's fair. I would like to assume that's the case in most people's experience. I believe there is also research that is supporting that working from home actually does boost productivity. Mm -hmm. But just, you know, just anecdotally, mm -hmm. it's it's been a great, great opportunity. And I would love to continue actually working from home if possible. I do kind of miss face-to-face -face interactions. Mm -hmm. There is something to that. Um, Liz, what about you? Yeah. How's it been for you working at home? 
Um, I personally enjoy it. Uh, I was in a similar boat to Alan um, with the hour and a half commute each way, and that really drained me. And also, not everyone really has the same circadian rhythm and the same kind of, you know, I personally am not a morning person, and I feel like I do my best thinking seriously in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. So when I would have to get all the way from South Brooklyn to Queens, and I would get to my desk in the morning, I would pretty much be like a zombie until like one in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. Wow. And, you know, my diet was not very good because I was pretty much too tired to really cook for myself. So I was just like getting takeout and everything. And now with this opportunity to work from home, like, you know, I can pretty much log on when I feel the most productive. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's worked out pretty well for me. Mm -hmm. um, so I could honestly, yeah, I think my, my kind of peak is probably between like three in the afternoon till midnight. It's kind of like how I prefer to work. Mm -hmm. And of course, that can't happen in an office setting. Yeah. So, so it's been it's, pretty good. And I've been, you know, I've been eating better because now I'm not eating tacos and pizza every day. So. Yeah. And yeah, I guess it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Like if we're going to actually, um, I mean, I guess my thing is like with the office space, right? Like what's, how, are, I don't know, man. I, I like, wanted to ask you about that. Actually, I'm yeah. happy you brought it All up. Right, sure, sure. Okay. So in your experience right. as a psychotherapist, right? You were rent, you were just up until recently, if, right. I, if I may say, mm -hmm. uh, you were renting out a property in order to meet uh, patients there and conduct sessions there. Right. But according, you know, because of this whole pandemic, nobody really want i mean maybe one or two people did but uh, in general nobody really wanted to meet in the office they're a little they're afraid and all of that and we also don't know what's going to be going on for the year so um okay without me outing you obviously could you tell us what what you ended up doing and maybe uh with with you know your agreement with that uh no, with office space. well yeah so i mean i ended up terminating the contract for you know whatever amount of time um so i don't know when i'm really going to be back i'm thinking probably sometime july maybe even august to be honest with you um so what i did was i ended up like uh terminating the current agreement and hopefully i'll write up a new agreement so the plan is going to be to come back to the office at some point for like um lesser days i don't know what the exact number is going to be i can't really say right now but honestly man it's on it's been actually much better working from home than it has been like working in the office so um i know like obviously but we never really talked about it on air so my office is pretty much like a closet <laughs> so oh, wow. yeah, yeah yeah so i don't have an, a window there i've seen pictures of it they look nice in the picture it's okay no it's okay like so yeah. the space is really nice right but it's just it's a closet like mm -hmm. it's still a closet right I mean, I, what i mean is pretty much like the size of it right so the space is really nice um it's, yeah so it's decorated it's furnished right it has literally no sunlight <laughs> So it has solid lighting, I guess, in there. Um, so like when you're kind of there, it's not the worst thing in the winter because you kind of feel like sort of cocooned, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And especially when it's like really cold outside. But in the summer, it really sucks. So like, you know, when you're coming to work and, you know, it's really nice outside and everybody's out and everybody's like doing stuff. And then you go into like what's akin to a dungeon, right? A type of dungeon place. And you kind of go into it and then you have to see people. And then, you know, like when you come out, you'd like, you're like, oh, wow, it's actually dark outside now. Mm -hmm. Right. When obviously, you know, you came in in the morning. So I really didn't like that part about it. That's um, depressing. 
Not yeah. at all. It definitely, it definitely can be. So, but what I found is that there's actually no difference between like seeing clients obviously virtually and then seeing them face to face. So, um, but by the way, just, this is subjective, right? So this is just my experience. But what I found is that like a lot of my clients have pretty much told me, they said, Hey, look, you know, if you want to continue this, we actually don't mind because for us, right. It takes us time to get there. It takes us money to get there. Right. Um, sometimes when we like need to reschedule, unfortunately what happens is it takes them like, it's pretty much out of their way to reschedule because they're, where it's different for different people for different people but obviously like what they're doing is if they're you know rescheduling it on another day and they have other plans then they have to kind of shift around their plans to make them sort of able to get to the city and maybe then back home to brooklyn or wherever they're from and so the idea is obviously virtually everything is literally there for you at the you know click of a button as they say so um so the idea is like for me at least i want to come back to the office at least one day a week honestly it's more selfish because like, I feel like I'm going to go crazy if I just sit in my apartment pretty much for the entire time. So I don't want to do that. But like, honestly, for the most part, I think maybe two people have asked for face-to-face -face sessions because like of privacy and stuff. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, everybody's like, yeah, we're actually, we'd rather do this virtually. There's like really not that much of a difference. So um, for me, honestly, what I'm going to probably do is I'm going to most likely go back to the office for like one day a week, maybe two. But for the most part, yeah, I'm going to actually be working virtually from now on. But so would you say you, you're saving a whole bunch of money as yeah. far as how many, how much you pay per month? Yeah. Yeah. Also another weird question. Mm -hmm. uh, so for your clients, right? So I'm sure there's pros and cons to it, but since they're, let's say at home, uh, ideally they're at home when they're having their session with you, mm -hmm. it actually could likely make them more able to share things because they're at home. Mm -hmm. Maybe not though. Depends what home means to them, mm -hmm. right? And also, there's the other dynamic of like, you know, building rapport. So maybe you need them to be in person. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. There, there, there's pros and cons to it. But it seems like overall, so far, what I'm seeing is. And it's actually going to be interesting when I start taking on new clients. So I haven't actually done that this entire time. So I wonder what it would be like taking on new clients and obviously seeing them virtually only. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. We I we haven't had that experience. I don't know if you guys ever heard of it. There's something called BetterHelp.com. Uh -huh. They do not sponsor the podcast, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> even though they should. <laughs> yeah, but uh, so which we call it. So they they sponsor other podcasts, and I've seen other podcasters um, talk about them, and they do online mental health counseling. Right. And that's their, that it's totally, that's their whole service industry. Mm -hmm. And they actually do really well. So, I mean, there seems to be a market for that as far as that goes. Yeah. So it's not out of the ordinary to do that. So that that's interesting as far as that goes. Yeah. I mean, the only real problem that I've had with that is like people sometimes have tech issues, obviously, which we're not strangers to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Recording three minute podcasts <laughs> and such. So, yeah. So sometimes like that's an issue, especially if somebody has like um, older technology. It kind of <laughs> sucks because like obviously what happens is like the audio sometimes cuts out, the video image isn't great, but whatever. It's not, that's not the case for most people, obviously. So, which is nice. But yeah, but the techs have, the tech side has been kind of an issue here and there. Um, but yeah, so, but outside of that, obviously if like, I mean, pretty much everybody has like updated tech, which is like obviously an ideal. What happens is man, I think honestly, it doesn't make that much of a difference whether you're sort of talking to each other through the computer or uh, virtually, or I'm not, or in the office. Even though honestly, there are some preliminary studies which show like in terms of a relationship and rapport, you actually do need the contact. Look, I haven't read them. So it's just something that I read in passing. People have said it. I think Kirk Schneider brought it up. We'll even ask him in a couple of weeks when he comes on, but his thing is like yeah that you actually need like the contact in order to have a bond or in order to feel like there's a human connection so i don't know i can't really speak on that but from my experience honestly i don't at least feel like there's been much of a difference hmm.
Well, um, I guess just to kind of pivot here, um, are you, do you guys know how the idea of the two-day weekend uh, came about? Okay, so... Uh, labor, labor movements. Yeah, so uh, people started to unionize after the Great Depression, and they wanted a two-day uh, weekend. They, uh, I, what did you mention earlier? This is off-camera about Henry Ford. Oh, yeah, so with Henry Ford, um, so there was a seven... Or, no, not a seven. I think it was a six-day work week at the time. So, and then Henry Ford realized that, like, oh, shit, productivity actually wanes in the long run. So it's like even though in the short term when kind of I hire people, they, you know, they were really productive, overproductive, maybe, even though he didn't see it that way. So they were highly productive, right? But then in the long run, what he finds is that they actually produce much less. So he thought, oh, wow, you know, maybe if I actually subscribe to this, you know, six day work week, or I think it was, what was he looking for? Yeah, I think it was either six or five. I don't remember exactly, but they cut it down at that point. So, um, so he ended up pretty much subscribing to a reduced work week. And he said, but it was a selfish reason. So he didn't do it because he cared about people. He's like, oh, because what I see is that if you look at the longer run, if they get rest, right, they're obviously more productive than they would have been otherwise. So it's interesting that you say that because since we just just before this shared anecdotes where we're saying that we actually feel better with working from home. So I understand that's not the four day work week, right. but where how does it connect? It's it's interesting because I would say this at least from my personal experience with all the extra free time. Like I said, three hours of commuting, I get to wake up an hour later, go to sleep an hour later. Right. There's all this time that's adding now to my to my week. Right. Mm -hmm. um, which is great because if let's say I get an average of five hours extra a day to do whatever. Yep. Right. Five times seven, 35. Right. And that's one week. And then let's expand it to a month. Let's expand it to a year. Mm -hmm. And then that compact that starts to add up. Right. Mm -hmm. And I would say this, my personal experience when I've been at work with all this free time is actually I have more energy throughout the day. Mm -hmm. Um it actually, it's interesting. I, it almost feels as novel as when I first started working uh, where I work. Mm -hmm. it, my mood is better. I mean, in general, I mean, we do, we talk about a lot of things that let you do that have a little, let you have a little sovereignty over how you control your mood and how to kind of optimize your situation to allow for flow, to, to allow for you to concentrate for you, you know, to, to take things as they come, mm -hmm. to not react, all that. It's things we talk about. So, of course, I implement that at work anyway, even before this. But uh, it feels like everything got way easier mm -hmm. with that. So, I mean, imagine what would happen with a four-day work week. Um, and I, I believe uh, I, have, uh, I have some actual um, some stats um, where uh, – Let's, I'll read it out. Uh, Four-day weekends made headlines around the world in the spring of 2018 when Perpetual Guardian, a New Zealand trust, sorry, a New Zealand trust management company, announced a 20% gain in employee productivity and a 45% increase in employee work-life life balance after a trial of paying people their regular salary for working four days. And that's one example. There's also another example of a company in Japan, a Microsoft company, where they also switched. Uh, to a four-day work week mm -hmm. and also their productivity shot up right. and these these examples I mean show a lot of promise well what would happen if more uh, businesses did that here uh, think about it this way too if we all had a three do you guys notice that when you have free time you end up actually spending more money as opposed to when 
you you're uh, working, um, you know, five days a week. I mean, th during those five days, you just, you know, you're eating your lunch, you do your work for however much that day. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe you, you get another meal or two uh, and you try to fill up its time with something that'll, you know, relax you as much as possible with whatever time you have allotted to you. Mm -hmm. uh, would you guys mm -hmm. say that's your experience? What, yeah, I say so. Wait, what's the question? Uh, that, that, you know, the, okay, so I know in your experience, you've actually orchestrated your work week into three days right. uh, a week. So that's actually really good. Mm -hmm. And if anybody can do something like that, please, all power to you. Mm -hmm. But in general, somebody who's, let's say, working five days a week, mm -hmm. during those five days, it, there's not much time. Mm -hmm. So you don't get much done. You don't spend that much money, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Wait, so you're, so you're saying you spend less money on the five-day work week? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then whenever you're free, you go on vacations, all that, right. you end up spending more money. Mm -hmm. Why is that important? Why am I bringing that up? Is Because you would think counterintuitively, well, isn't it good you're saving money mm -hmm. and you're and you're – you know, conserving, but in the other sense, it's, it's actually good for the economy. If you, if you end up having the same salary, uh, for a four day oh, work I got what you're saying. and you have more time to spend it, mm -hmm. you're buying more things, contributing more to right. the, to the economy. So right. I know it's a simplistic way to uh, look at it, mm -hmm. but that ends up being the case. Wow, that's actually true. No, that's actually a really good way of seeing it. So yeah. what you're saying is if we're looking at the bigger picture, right? So what's going to happen is even though these companies, let's say, are, you know, losing hy hypothetically, right? So let's say they're losing productivity in the short term. What happens is that if everybody's losing productivity in the short term and more people are spending money, then these people are obviously, hopefully in the long term, gaining. So they're actually not losing productivity. Mm -hmm. If actually, if they were losing productivity, there wouldn't be much of an argument to even. Well, I mean, in the short term, because you have to be, obviously, if you're working less days. Uh, research shows uh, that's not the case. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the that's one of one of the main reasons to push the four day work. Mm -hmm. uh, if there was a loss in productivity, uh, yeah, we probably wouldn't be uh, trying to talk it up. I, w I would imagine, right? I mean, it would be great just to have you know more days free. Well, but if there's an argument that there's more productivity being done, because the, the amount of work that somebody gets done in the day, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, imagine somebody's work day. Oh, actually, Liz, just for fun, uh -huh. let's not talk about your current job because, uh, you know, this is this goes out to the Internet. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we don't want to get you fired. Let's say at your previous job, what, how would you describe like how much work you got done during the day? Like how many of your hours were spent being productive? Versus how much was spent maybe like uh, chatting with someone or getting like uh, some coffee or some, some, or, or, or looking at social media. Yeah. Uh, shenanigans. Would <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would say in all fairness, um, I could have gotten all of my work done in half a day. Yeah. Yeah. And the rest, the rest of the day was, just kind of tapping around it was you know it's it's like oh why am i still here <laughs> you know it's interesting did you guys have you guys ever read the work of or at least heard about him this guy named david graber sounds familiar bullshit uh, jobs i've heard of that <laughs> well, uh, yeah you elaborate oh sorry sure so he what's up liz oh i i, I did want to know because we kept on you know mentioning productivity mm -hmm. and we you, you can't mention productivity without noting that we are the most productive workforce of history right now. Mm -hmm. We really are. We churn out the most work 
And I think it was Keynes who said in the early 20th century that as technology accelerates, we can actually cut down to working 15 hours a week. Right. And that has not happened. We're still at 40. Oh, yeah. He said two things. He said that and he said that we would have the best economy or we would have an economy that allows for that. So he was definitely right about, uh, well, not like right this second, but right before the pandemic, we were doing really well economically. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just didn't catch up with the amount of hours we could work a week. But yeah, I've, I've heard that too. And they I, talked about that on uh, the Andrew Yang podcast. So speaking actually. of that, I wanna, I'm going to take this book because I want to bring this up before the show ends. It's like, a, whatever, I don't want to bring it up now because we're in this conversation, but I want to mention it a little bit before we end. But yeah, so David Graeber, right? So David Graeber pretty much said that he said 40, like according to his research, he said 40% of all jobs are what he calls bullshit jobs. So a bullshit job is pretty much like, um, let's say, like being an air conditioner installator or... Um, I don't know. I don't remember exactly which ones he said. I don't want to just, you know, shoot off the top of my head. Just to, just real quick side sure. tangent. Uh, at least that job will be around uh, reliably. Right, right. So here's what he yeah. meant by bullshit job, right? So what he means by that is just that, that these jobs pretty much for the most part carry no meaning to them. So why he calls them bullshit jobs is he says, look, because obviously you have to pay people like in the long run, right? You can't just pay a person for one particular job and expect them to stick around, right? Because what they're going to do is they're going to go off and, you know, they're going to go find work elsewhere. And maybe if you need them next week and you don't need them this week and you call them, they're going to be like, hey, sorry, you know, we're unavailable. So what some companies do is that they pretty much hire people to do bullshit jobs, right? To kind of sit around most of the time. So he says that like what happens a lot of the times is that he says, you know, like even though as a culture, what we're usually looking for is, um, is like, let's say uh, like we're looking to slack, right? Like that's kind of the stereotype. Like, oh, Americans like, just want to slack off, right? So what he says, he says, actually, no, a lot of times it's the opposite, right? Americans are looking for meaning. So in these bullshit jobs, he says that even though like people slack off and let's say the idea is that, maybe 80% of the time, right, you're watching movies on your phone, you're maybe reading a book, you're like scrolling through Instagram, Facebook, whatever. He says a lot of times these people are actually really miserable. So the misconception, obviously, on the conservative side is that people don't want to work, right? So the misconception is like, oh, they want handouts, right? So we need to sort of like, you know, nudge them back to work. The problem is, it's actually not true. What people don't want is they don't want meaningless work. They do want to work, but they want work that obviously provides some sort of value for their community. So what he found is in these bullshit jobs that what happens is even though these people have great benefits, right, they, um, let's say, have a substantial amount of time off, right, to do whatever, to, you know, go hang out by the water cooler, um, to do whatever, right, to just kind of hang out and shoot the shit with people. So, but what he finds is that a lot of times their mental health actually plummets. Mm -hmm. So, and why he calls them bullshit jobs, it's not really, it's not a way to kind of demean the work itself, but it's to kind of show from the perspective of the employee that they're actually really unhappy. It's bullshit to you. Yes, that's it, (laughs) right. So it's like, even though, like, yes, you're getting everything sort of provided for at the end of the day the jobs themselves suck and so what he says is that a lot of the work that people do and again 40 fucking percent a lot of the work that people do are just they find it to be meaningless and so it's like imagine if you're just sitting around most of the time just waiting to sort of be effective in some minor way that'll drive most people crazy yeah the the amount of time wasting there is it's not a benefit to the employee it's not a benefit to the employer right um if if you cut down on time like that you would just lead to a, a happier, more effective uh, workforce. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, how could you not see the benefits in that? Right. So, I mean, it's just a matter of, I mean, I know by law, uh, you have to work uh, 40, or a lot of businesses are mandated to have employees work 
40 hours right. a week. Mm -hmm. Even if some um, industries right now are experimenting with the four four day work week, mm -hmm. uh, or even less hours actually, I believe others are experimenting, experimenting with that as well. Mm -hmm. uh, if it was legislated, I mean, for example, if one company knew that their competition is doing a four day work week and uh, they're accomplishing so much with, uh, with their productivity levels, I mean, uh, and more people want to work there. How could, you know, somebody you're competing against, how could you not try to do the same thing mm -hmm. and try to create that, that same sort of um, work environment? Yep. Yeah. So that, that's, that's something to consider. I don't know. Um, uh, what, what do you think, Liz? Do I support the four day work week? Yeah. Well, yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. Hell yeah, I do. Oh my God. I, it's not even, it's, it's not even just this in, increased productivity, but the happiness, you know, will come in, uh, in other ways. Like, um, I know that when I would, when I would complain to you guys, like every single day mm -hmm. about, uh, about how like tired and the, how long my days were and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I felt, I did feel unfulfilled, uh, not just because of the work itself, but because of, uh, the rest of my free time and my and my life and my general happiness i didn't have any time for hobbies uh sometimes in the weekend i would be too tired to socialize yeah. and no one wants to feel like a cog it's you know and that's this is why this anti-work trend is kind of springing up uh fun subreddit by the way <laughs> where <laughs> what's up you know it's where you you need time to actually live and spend time with your, your friends and your loved ones and nurture these hobbies that do give you personal fulfillment that you may not have the opportunity, you know, not everyone has the, uh, you know, the luxury of choosing a meaning meaningful job. Some jobs naturally suck and they're not going to change. Yeah. So you need to, you need to have the time and the capital to have fulfillment elsewhere, no matter what you do. Plus I mean, it it's, it's just, it's, it's really just kind of human dignity and respect, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, plus it, it serves the employer from their perspective to do this kind of idea, because if, if more of your workforce is, um, happier to be there, they have less despondency, you know, due to the amount of time that the job takes from them. Mm -hmm. uh, the turnover rate will be lower. Yeah. 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 And, and what's interesting, I mean, this kind of sucks though, because it could create a different problem where somebody might end up, you know, in a job that's still not as meaningful to them, but it's easy enough to settle with for four days. And that could create a different problem where they might not pursue something else they're more passionate about. It might make them more complacent, but that's a different conversation as far as that goes. Mm -hmm. I was just imagining like possible you know, uh, issues with that, but, um, it does serve the employer to do the four day thing because yeah, if people are happier, like you said, uh, less turnover rate. Yeah. And yeah. you know, I guess I want to read you sort of this passage from, uh, so this is from, we're going back to how to live a good life. And so we're going back to Epicureanism and obviously we had Hiram Crespo on, uh, I think it was three months ago, two months ago, something like that. So I don't want to get your guys' obviously thoughts on this. So this is uh, a section in the chapter called Epicurean Economics. Uh, Epicurean economics. economics, yeah. And so he pretty much talks about like what life would be like, obviously, if we kind of lived up to the standard of Epicurean, I guess, financial theory or Epicurean sort of societal theory. So the so this is what he pretty much writes. So he writes, and this is from Hiram. He writes, um, 
Ugh, this is a tough word to pronounce. So, aut autar autarchy. How do you pronounce that? Autarchy. Autarchy, yeah. So autarchy, which is self-sufficiency and self-government, right? He says it's both an economic and a philosophical principle. The philosopher is expected to be self-sufficient in terms of not caring too much about public opinion and in terms of being able to secure national and necessary goods with ease. So he should not toil or engage in hard labor. Instead, Philodemus of Gadara, in his scroll on the art of property management, proposes that the philosopher should have fruitful possessions, that is, he should own means of production, which we all agree with, <laughs> um, have multiple, <laughs> so have multiple streams of income, teaching, philosophy, rental property, income, and business ownership that employs others, um, have special pro priority over other sources of, I'm oh, sorry, um, business, business ownership that employs others, uh, have special to have special priority over other resource or other sources of income, and that his revenue must more than meet his immediate needs. It must it must facilitate a dignified life of leisure. So we should ask ourselves today what might be the best ways to encourage ownership of assets and means of production in our communities in order to diminish wage slavery as much as possible. Obviously, you can see the communist touch, <laughs> and ultimately allow <laughs> allow citizens to live pleasantly. So also here, kind of he argues like for what a, what it would be like to obviously have a universal basic income and if we obviously had the time to kind of pursue our hobbies interests and whatnot so I mean okay just kind of just to sort of sum it up so what do you guys think it would be like if like let's say we were all sort of like philosophers and we all had fruitful possessions right own some sort of means of production if we had multiple streams of income such as teaching having some sort of rental property and then we obviously had kind of our media needs met right that we didn't really have to worry about sort of you know the day that sounds beautiful yeah that sounds ideal mm -hmm. right I mean Imagine, imagine something like that. I mean, it make a life full of abundance. You could choose to do whatever, whatever you'd like to do. Yeah. Uh, if if you needed to uh, pay for something, it, it, you wouldn't be coming from a scarce position, right. not knowing how to handle the situation. Yeah, and I think even just owning the means of production could even, I guess, um, sort of be uh, more generalized. And it doesn't have to be that every person needs to own some sort of factory. But I'm assuming what he can also mean here is that, that every person could be contributing to owning some sort of factory. So the idea is that in some way, right, you are both sort of a, you're kind of an employee, right? And obviously if you're teaching, um, if you're sort of managing rental property, and then on top, well, that's not really an employee, but whatever. But the point is you're working, right? So you're sort of working passively and then actively. And so for Liz, I guess the question goes to Liz then. Liz, what do you think that kind of life would look like, if you agree with it? Uh, it would be a, a blissful one for sure. Um, <laughs> I, would, I would definitely spend a lot more time creating and traveling and just, it would, it would definitely be a lot more balanced and I dare say my health would even improve. Um, yeah. I, I think... I, I think society, especially American society, could greatly benefit from that, considering that we're not even, you know, allowed. There's no federal mandate on vacations, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's all, it depends on if your employer is a generous god. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's actually true. <laughs> I, like, I like your way of putting uh -huh. that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, right. It, it does depend on the company. Um, I hear some people get... Like you're, you're like some people get their sick days included in their vacation. Depending, I on do. Yes. Wow. Mm -hmm. What is that? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. that's that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, what is even a fair amount of vacation days? I, I don't even know. 
I mean, that's what collective bargaining is for. And I'm sure you guys know, you know, there's still employers who still say like, why should we have to pay you for going on vacation? Or why should we have to pay you for being sick? Like, how is that? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, or maternity I, yeah. leave. That's a big right. one too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause it's extended. So in their minds, they're like, Oh, why should we have to pay you for that? Well, imagine you're a business owner, mm -hmm. right? And then all of a sudden, you know, you were doing things one way before. Right. And then all of a sudden, you know, um, new ideas come up and they require you to spend more money. Right. And it's from that perspective, you know, I, I feel, I feel for them a little bit. They're like, okay, this, this is rough, man. You're, you didn't even come to work. I got to pay you. I hear you. You didn't do that. anything today. So I'm not, <laughs> gonna, I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm yeah. being devil's advocate. And I will be the devil's advocate to the devil's advocate. So I'm not going to mention any names, but um, there was a, a person that I once knew a while back, right? Trump? No. <laughs> I didn't know Trump. So there was a person who I knew a while back, right, who was a business owner. And so um, he had a plethora of people sort of leave him in a very sort of small amount of time. And the reason why he did <laughs> Oh, yeah. I know who it is. Or, well, yeah. So, and so the reason why that happened was obviously because he didn't want to adapt, right? And it wasn't that he didn't know. I mean, people have given him suggestions, right? So, but the problem was that he obviously, in his mind, he saw kind of thought in that very sort of myopic short-term way, right? And he actually thought that way. It was like, why should I provide for my employees when they aren't working? Look, these are facts. I hear you and I hear where he's coming from, right? But the problem was what happened was in the long term, right, a lot of people left him. And then you would have sort of other clients come and they would say, hey, you know, like we're actually really unhappy with his service now because he has a, such a high turnover of employees. Like we don't want to keep sort of forming new relationships with people. So I hear where you're coming from. Plus, just to tag your point, mm. this goes back to what would happen if we legislated a four-day work week. Mm. Well, since so many different companies already offer sick pay or better vacation days if one guy is not doing that then of course people are gonna go somewhere else right right and that's 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 the problem that they have to contend with so it's actually more of a you're setting the playing field is different now right yeah so they have to adapt if they don't adapt uh, good luck with your with your business and getting employees you probably will still get people yeah but they're gonna move on pretty fast probably Right. And then it's something that we talked about with Napoleon, remember a couple of months, no, a month ago. So um, when Napoleon talked about like in his bakery, right, where he would sometimes give discounts and people would be like, oh, wow, like they're so grateful that they end up coming back. So people don't get sometimes that it's even a selfish move, right? Like Henry Ford was a highly selfish person. He didn't give a shit about his employees. What he cared about was obviously maintaining sort of productivity and obviously maintaining his employees because nobody wants to keep training people. So, but the problem is unfortunately a lot of times when people are like super selfish, it's not even... It's like they really hurt themselves. So um, the point is that their employees leave and their employees are happy. Their employees go off and they have these great lives and they never look back. But that person who is in sort of that kind of framework or in that mental framework, he just doesn't understand and he's the one who kind of suffers or she obviously in the long run. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Liz, what are your thoughts? Thank you. Um, well, I definitely agree. It's very, I was thinking about uh, my friend in Japan and how low productivity is across the Japanese workforce mm -hmm. because they have, they spend so many hours just sitting there because they have to be sitting there and not necessarily working, but they have to be there. Mm -hmm. They just bullshit jobs. Yep. Those are the bullshit jobs, man. Like uh, my friend said that he puts in like two hours of solid work in, in the morning mm -hmm. and that's it. Wow. 
It's like mm -hmm. office space, literally like office space. So how many hours would you say uh, you worked? Oh, what was it? Like how many hours did you say that you worked? No, it was, uh, what would you say you do here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. And uh, so actually uh, what happened with uh, Microsoft Japan, they're saying the, so, okay. So this is part of the article. So obviously we're not talking about this summer, but I'll just read it verbatim mm -hmm. saying workers at Microsoft Japan enjoyed an enviable perk this summer, working four days a week, enjoying a three day weekend and getting their normal five day paycheck. The result, the company says was a productivity boost of 40%. Sure. Microsoft Japan says it became more efficient in several areas, including lower electricity costs, mm -hmm. which fell by 23%. And as its workers took five uh, Fridays off in August, they printed nearly 60% fewer pages. Um, I imagine that has to do with uh, costs. Uh, mm -hmm. It doesn't seem like a big deal from me as the reader. I don't know. No, probably is. Even if it's like, yeah, it takes a lot to print. Maybe. Yeah, and all the employees who took Fridays off were given special paid leave. The company says, encouraged by the results, it plans to hold a similar, similar trial in the winter. So I believe this is last year um, that they implemented this. So when they say in the winter, they're referring to last winter. Mm -hmm. um, okay, also, just, just to tag this, why not? Just to get more info. Because of the shorter work week, the company also puts its meetings on a diet. Mm -hmm. The standard duration for a meeting was slashed from 60 minutes to 30 an approach that was adopted for nearly half of all meetings in a related cut standard attendance at those sessions was uh, capped at five employees. Mm -hmm. Long story short, just to go back to the first statement, which is their productivity went up by 40%. Right. And again, that's, that's a big company, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it, it's not, so getting these kinds of results, getting these kinds of studies done and right. seeing the stats, it's important when you're, when you're looking at, a company like Microsoft, they're, they're in a way, they're trailblazers for other companies, smaller companies, mm -hmm. or other big companies too. And if companies like that start implementing it, just to you know say this again, of course, other companies are going to see what they're doing and try to copy them because otherwise people will just want to work at Microsoft. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Interesting. That's so interesting. Yeah. Liz, what do you think? Um, I think it's going to take a long long time for companies in Japan to adjust. They're very, very set in their ways. I mean, it was only just recently that uh, women were able to, you know, not wear high heels in the work in the workplace. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, wow. it's, it's, they're very loath to change, but I think this can set a very, very good precedent. Uh, and if it can change in Japan, it can literally change anywhere. So and you know, since you, like that. since you said that, and now I have you know kind of another, I guess, what might be a controversial sort of topic, but it's obviously connected. So there was this really great article. I don't remember who the author was, but it was in Vox probably about two years ago. But the title is a bit. Uh, is it? I was going to say it's a misnomer. Maybe it's really not, but it's definitely a controversial title. So the title is something along the lines of "Women Have Better Sex in Socialist Countries." <laughs> and, then, <laughs> yeah. and so what's what's so cool about the article so i think the person who wrote it she was an economist um so what was so cool about the article is so her argument was essentially that in the more capitalistic countries right because obviously they're sort of more patriarchal and male dominated what happens is like um pretty much women feel like they're forced to sort of choose their partner 
partners, right? Sort of they're forced to choose people that they might not necessarily want to be with. And so when you have a certain social safety net, right? When you have solid maternity pay, when you, um, let's say, um, let's say when you have a solid kind of uh, education, right? And when you know that you have a lot of value to provide, you know, for a company, when you have a solid skill set, what happens is that you can pretty much choose the and if let's say you had a partner that you didn't want, right, you can obviously end up leaving them. So, you know, the relationship breaks apart, you won't feel financially dependent on them. So the point of the article, and by the way, and this was the misnomer part. So she didn't mean like socialist, socialist country. And I, I promise you, she wasn't even probably the one who made the title. I'm assuming it was the people at Vox. They often kind of, you know. Yeah, the, made, the guy was a, a named Sean Illing, uh, the guy who wrote the article. Oh, was it? Oh, you looked it up? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Just, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. So because like on Vox, what um, they do on like these media platforms sometimes is they like make kind of exaggerations in their title. So she didn't, or the author of the book, and obviously Sean, he didn't mean socialist countries. What we were talking about was like Denmark, you know, the Scandinavian countries. So what he was saying is pretty much and what she was saying in her book um, is that like when we talk about sort of a so strong social safety net, what happens is it's actually converse, right? So the way we like to think about it in this country is that freedom is actually sort of the ability to be on your own and to not need protection, right? That's actually garbage, right? So if you don't need protection, you actually do need protection. So what I mean by that is a lot of times, especially if you're like, again, the society is what it is, right? It's male dominated, right? It's heavily dominated sort of by white dudes. And so what happens is like you have other people who don't have the same opportunities, unfortunately. So they don't really have the freedom that you think that they do. So whereas if we go to kind of Denmark, right? And we go to the countries that are sort of more, um, they don't call themselves democratic socialists, but whatever, because this is like a thing. I don't want to just label whatever. I'm just going to label it, whatever. Fuck you guys. If you want to attack me for it. So, <laughs> so the point is like in these other countries, right? Even though, yes, they technically call themselves capitalistic, whatever. So the point is because they have a strong safety net that people, right. Who are considered here to be kind of minorities, right. They're actually free there. So because they know that there's a solid protection system for them, that they could kind of go off and make their own decisions. So why they can pursue what they want. Exactly. Yeah. So the idea of having better sex, literally just means that they're happier and because they get to choose their partners freely obviously they're going to have better sex with them cool um well, you, you said like you didn't mean like the strictly communist countries but right. i will mention the case of east and west germany mm -hmm. because east german women uh were better educated and they had guaranteed um child care and they were actually ha like there, there were studies that they were actually happier and more better off than women in west germany mm -hmm. wow interesting mm -hmm. so what were um what were the factors like better off in what ways do you remember uh in terms of happiness mm -hmm. uh, uh and the opportunity to have uh better jobs because people uh, women in west germany were staying home with the kids yeah they didn't really have any agency outside, like, you know, to, in their home and they were limited in a lot of what they could do. And East German women had careers and they were able to pretty much, I mean, in the confines of East German society, do what they want. Right. So then, I mean, kind of, I guess this is going to be the foundation of this episode, I think. And what do you guys think it would be like if we had a universal basic income? Well, it would definitely make things easier. Right. Uh, the, it, well, first of all, if we did receive a universal basic income, that money would definitely be spent. It would go back into the economy. Right. It is still taxed. Um, so, I mean, uh, there's no worry about that as far as from the government side uh, about uh, giving away the money. Mm -hmm. 
Um, it'll give people uh, the, a choice to also pursue what it is that they would like to do. For instance, if you weren't, if your mindset wasn't all about survival mm -hmm. um, and you actually had enough to meet your needs, right? Like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you would then potentially be able to, um, I hate to repeat myself. I, I feel bad. I already said this, but yeah, you'd be able to pursue what it is that you self-actualize. You have to self-actualize. You'd be able to take care of your family uh, a little bit better. You'd be able to maybe uh, take care of yourself a little bit better. Um, th there are so many benefits to it. I'm probably having like a scotoma. Like I'm, I'm having some blind spots to other benefits right now. But mm -hmm. what, what do you guys think would be some benefits? Well, Liz, what do you think if you have any in mind? Uh, society would be kinder and much more generous. Even, you know, like I think we would even see cases of uh, abuse go down. Mm -hmm. uh, for both partners and for children. Um, a lot of what exacerbates, uh, you know, a, a lot of abuse and negative emotions is financial stress. Um, stress in terms of how much free time that you have, it bottles up and, you know, it's, it really kind of turns people into, you know, in, into who they wouldn't necessarily be if they didn't have all of this on their shoulders. I'm not saying this to, uh, to excuse any acts of violence or uh, emotional or ver verbal abuse, but uh, there, are, there, are, there is data to back this up in terms of <laughs> your general happiness and how you treat and uh, cases of domestic violence, you know? So all of society would benefit. It would, I, I would, if, if that passed, we would see the fabrics of society change in a very fundamental way. Right. And there's a huge difference between explanation and justification, right? So, I mean, obviously, just because something, just because we understand why a person does something doesn't justify the action. Right. Yep. Um, also, what's, what's great is if, if we did receive that kind of assistance uh, from the government, mm -hmm. I mean, it would also make us have more trust in the government. Mm -hmm. right if they decide to trust us with money right. we decide to trust them with a whole bunch of things i know that's a very general thing but it's like i mean if they, like, if, i mean they certainly trust uh multi-billion dollar corporations to take bailouts and think that they're going to do what's right so mm -hmm. what do you yeah. give us a little trust you know it's like uh, yeah. <laughs> don't and throw us a grand and be like okay you're fine I mean, Yang has said something to that effect as well. He said, you know, if you people were trusted with the money, they would probably trust you with more things. They might be more giving themselves if they received right. something as well. It's just like a sort of dynamic that would be at play. What do you guys think about this idea, right? So let's say, you know, so the arguments against the universal basic income are pretty much... <laughs> why are you fine? No, it's just like, oh, I was just to be like, oh, shit, President Garber. <laughs> I have ideas. <laughs> <laughs> so you know like how the argument against the ubi is pretty much said, like oh like why would we want to give it to rich people right and then you know rich people are like oh like fuck you like we don't want to be left out like why are you just giving money away you know for free right so i mean what do we what if we just implemented like let's say a progressive tax system right so like this way in some way i get like, everybody could win right but so what we'll pretty much have is that like let's say uh 
So let's say in, you know, kind of we have like these tiers, right, in progression, right? So we have these tiers and then you have, let's say, you know, people on top who maybe be taxed. I don't know. I'm not going to say 50%. I know a lot of you guys would hate that. So let's say even 40%, right? And so, but let's say the people, right? The, so we have this universal basic income for everybody, right? And let's say this in conjunction with the progressive tax system means that, let's say, people who are already rich will still get the fundamental income, which is, I don't know, what if Yang progress? Like a couple of thousand or something? Uh, I believe him is a thousand. Okay. So a thousand, right? So let's say everybody gets a thousand dollars, right? So let's say, but we still implement this progressive sort of tier tax system, right? And so if we do that, then what's going to happen is obviously the rich people who are rich people are going to be progressively taxed, right? And tax, tax much higher on the top tier, right? Or the top tier. So if let's say if we have a progressive income system, I'm sorry, a progressive tax system, and then we still have the universal basic income, what happens is you still have rich people getting the income. So therefore they can't really complain that much. Much. But then obviously on top of that, they're also getting taxed at a higher rate. So we combine, you know, their kind of wealth and income, and then we obviously put it together with the UBI that they're getting, and then they're going to be taxed at a higher tier than everybody else. So um, I've heard ideas like that proposed. Oh, well. I wasn't the first? No. Oh. I, I think, <laughs> no, I guess like I'm a genius. I think uh, Bernie. Uh, had, Did he? Interesting. He, he said something similar in conversation. Mm -hmm. um, there was a podcast recently with uh, Sam Harris, mm -hmm. and he had someone on who uh, was. Uh, I, I would like to tell you who it was. Um, doo -doo -doo -doo. I would like for you to tell me that too. Okay. It was Daniel Markovitz. Mm. Okay. So what he had proposed was uh, not a consistent tax, mm -hmm. but he was saying a one-time 5% uh, wealth tax mm -hmm. um, on the richest people in America mm -hmm. uh, to help uh, create another stimulus. Mm -hmm. um, he said that if you took 5% of um, the richest people's uh, income, mm -hmm. you would come up with another $2 trillion. Mm -hmm. Um, and he had some kind of, you'd have to listen to it. It's Sam Harris with, uh, Markovitz, yeah. but, um, he, he had some reason why he wanted to do it one time as opposed to consistently. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know what his politics are fully. I need to finish listening to it. But that's for the stimulus package, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the, yeah, the, uh, I just, just, you know, just to tag what you were saying, that was something I, I heard of. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, Liz, what do you think about the idea of a UBI and a progressive tax system with it? It makes complete and utter sense. Yeah. I mean, how, how much was the tax rate in the 60s, in the early 60s and the 50s? Yep. For the top 1%, what was it like? 90%. 90%? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, crazy, right? And you know, back then, nobody like argued with it. So Eisenhower, who was a Republican president, was like, yeah, why, why would we not do that? Mm-hmm. 90%, right? Sounds 90%. rough hearing that now. It does, right now, right? But back then, this was like the norm. Everybody's like, why? So there were no billionaires. And the idea was like, why would anybody need a billion dollars? What are you going to do with a billion dollars? I see. Right. So and all the old white people like to hearken on that time as a great era in American history. Except for like that part. Like, yeah, except for, <laughs> except for that part. <laughs> they didn't like that. <laughs> but, you know, like the, the, the family unit was stronger. Uh, people were able to spend more time with their children. They mm -hmm. went on vacations. They owned homes. I mean, I, I mean, not everybody, of course, but definitely, you know, young people, like people our age were homeowners <laughs> for, right. you know, a lot more than we are now. And well, will yeah, we ever become homeowners? I don't know. But yeah, so you know. baby boomers, uh, 
were um, very likely to become richer than their parents. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I forgot where I was hearing this. I think this is also on a, one episode of Yang's podcast. That could be because of the GI Bill. And, yeah. yeah. But anyway, what they were saying is that nowadays, though, the, you're not, it's not, the likelihood of that is much lower. Mm -hmm. Right? And that's, that's something very important to take into consideration. Uh, but again, just to pivot, I actually have a question for, for both of you. Um, is it actually time for a four day work, work week? Mm -hmm. And is it actually time to work from home? Um, I, I think that's an important question to, to end it off on. Okay. So yeah, I would say definitely yes on the work day on the four day work week. So because obviously what I find is that most people are really sort of overworked and stressed out. So like for the clients that I have who obviously most of whom work five days a week, I mean, here's the tricky thing. And this is something I know we didn't really get into, but whatever, I'm going to say it. If it doesn't go anywhere, it doesn't really matter. So the point is that uh, even though people have a five day work week, that's actually bullshit. They don't. So a lot of times, especially now, by the way, that they're working from home and this is a downside. So their bosses actually think it's okay to message them on the weekends, to message them at like two, three in the morning sometimes. So some. the, yeah, some, some. So the problem is obviously, um, so, okay, with the five-day work week, a lot of times it's actually not a five-day work week because too many people are taking their work home. And by the way, that's what I was doing when I worked for a clinic. I actually did not work five days a week. I worked more because I was taking work home, which I couldn't stand. Um, and then on top of that, if we're talking about working from home, I love the idea of working from home. The only issue that I see with it is that there have to be set boundaries. So if we're working from home, then the idea is like after five o'clock, you cannot text me, you cannot call me, you cannot send me emails, you can't, you, I don't, I don't exist know you to you, I don't know you, <laughs> you do not, I don't exist to you and you don't know me at that point, right? So I would say yes on the work, on the four day week, four day week work week, yes on working home, but I also think that what we could do is honestly, it depends on the company and it depends on like, you know, who the employees are, but I also think that it's okay if people want to work from the office, right? So something obviously to consider with your boss, whether it's worth renting out the space, um, how many people are going to be there, that these are conversations that are going to have to be private conversations and obviously in different sectors and in different companies. But um, yeah, so the only issue that I would see in working from home is that a lot of people are now viewing it as licensed to, for freedom, right? Pretty much licensed to hit the person up whenever they want to say like, oh, hey, like you're on your computer like you know i need you to do something and that's not okay uh i i'm with you i definitely don't think that's okay i haven't experienced that mm -hmm. uh hope to not experience that mm -hmm. and i hope a lot of people don't but it sounds like you've heard of some cases where they Flat. get that Flat. i know nick gets that mm -hmm. uh but he works at a financial firm and they're always pulling like 60 hours plus work weeks Wild. so that's a different sort of conversation but um yeah liz uh same question to you is it time for a four-day work week and is it time to work from home uh yes to the four-day work week yes to working from home i know that france did pass a law that uh forbade bosses from hitting up their workers after five mm -hmm. so that's a good thing i i remember being uh getting like slack messages at like 10 p.m with like, like a question for my boss or something like and it would actually look, yeah, it would, it, it would be unfavorable if you didn't answer. Forget that. That's ridiculous. And we have technologically progressed to the amount where we can benefit and we're not taking it. And it's time. You know, step more toward what Keynes was saying with, uh, you know, we only need to work 15 hours a week when technology progresses enough. I mean, I don't know about 15 hours. That doesn't seem like a long time to me. But we are finally at this point where we can reap the benefits of how this tech has progressed. 
Yep. And we should take it. We shouldn't have to, you know, we shouldn't have to be pumping out all this pro productivity and being paid the same amount. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, this is a whole different conversation about stagnant work wages, whatever, mm -hmm. but it's time for us to kind of grow with the tech as a general society. So Agreed. yes, my vote goes toward working from home and the four day week. In my opinion, if, if the research supports that productivity goes up mm -hmm. and that um, businesses would save uh, an ample amount of money, uh, employees would save an ample amount of time, it would lead to their happiness. Mm -hmm. I don't see why not, mm -hmm. right? It, especially if you have research and facts to support those claims. Mm -hmm. I understand if somebody uh, just wanted to do it because they, they had that feeling and then you don't, you don't know how that's workable or not, but we have enough case studies of companies that are doing this and had success with this. Mm -hmm. So I do think it's time. As far as working from home, I'm kind of with you too. I mean, if somebody wants to work in the office, wants to associate with other people, there's maybe they have more of an extroverted sort of uh, aspect to them mm -hmm. and they need to see all these different people. I'm with that. I support that. But at the same time, it, it, I, there are so many uh, benefits to it. So it's something worth looking at. Uh, maybe having a couple of days where you're in the office for the week, mm -hmm. maybe once a week. Um, that has to be researched and looked at. But as far as a four-day work week, there definitely is enough research to support that. So I'm definitely with that. All right. All right. So, Alan, final questions before we go? Not really. Uh, well, okay. Yeah. Uh, Liz, if we wanted to um, follow you, um, where, where could we follow you? Uh, so you can follow me on Twitter at Liz is sentient. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yep. And uh, Leon, do you want to do the honors? So just let's say goodbye to Liz first and then we'll do that. We can do it with her. I think she doesn't mind. All right, Liz, you want to stay on while we do the final roll call? Sure. Okay, cool. All right. So <laughs> that's, this is like the first time we've had actually somebody stay on for this. I think it should be cool. Okay. So are you stressed that you can't leave the house to keep up with the routine, fighting with chronic conditions such as diabetes and hypertension, having trouble coming up with healthy ways to feed your family, or simply need the support system set up to make your goals a reality? Vera with Verified Nutrition offers a free 15-minute consultation on her website at V-E-R-A-F-I-E-D. N-U-T-R-I-T-I-O-N.com. You can read more about her individual journey, her experiences, send her a message, check out her blog and the services she offers and make the choice to get verified. <laughs> yep. And also guys look forward to next week. We have an episode with Borough President Eric Adams coming up and we're going to talk about a wide range of topics, but mostly um, about the Black Lives Movement, uh, what happened with George Floyd, um, pretty much police brutality and Eric yeah. has some really interesting ideas on how to combat it. So we're going to be able to focus on that with him. Yeah. So, uh, thank you so much for watching Liz. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And see you guys next time. All right.